0: Well, we're in a series right now called His Church. It's a brief study of what the Scripture says about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It really is His church, by the way. You know, Satan knows that the only way to slow down the church is to try to bring in division somehow, because not even the gates of hell can prevail against the church But if He can get us fighting amongst ourselves, you know, and I'm talking about the universal church, if He can get us fighting amongst, you know, ourselves and other churches, it hinders the work of the Lord and what Jesus is doing in building His church throughout the world. You know, the world's... Most valid criticism of the church, and let me just clarify here the world has a lot of criticisms of the church, and most of them lack any validity whatsoever. But their most valid criticism of the church is that too often we can't seem to get along. Too often it seems like the church is fighting among themselves, much less loving one another as Jesus said that we were to. Jesus said, The world will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. And yet a lot of the time what the world sees is that we can't agree and we can't get along. I just want you to know that it's important that we see that our adversary, the devil, is always trying to bring division and disunity. But Jesus wants us to be one. You know, that work of the enemy is certainly not a new thing. I mean, it was going on in that early New Testament church in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul asked the Corinthians, he says, is Christ divided? It's a rhetorical question, but it would be okay for you all to say no. No, Christ is not divided. We need to know that we are one. In 1 Corinthians 12.12, it says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. It says it over and over again that the body of Christ is one. Scripturally, we need to know this. There is one body. The body can have no divisions. It's Jesus' church. And you know what? I say this, there's a lot of opinions about what the church ought to be. But the only one that really matters is Jesus' opinion. And he says that the church is to be one. In fact, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he prayed for his disciples and he prayed for the church that was to come. In John 17, 20 and 21, he says, "I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word." That's you and me. "...that they will all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you." that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. This is how critical it is. He says that the world may believe that you sent me. The world needs to see that it's real, that we really are one. That's proof. Jesus is saying that the world will know, so they'll believe that you sent me. It's really amazing how many denominations there are today. I mean, we could probably all name a handful of the major ones, but there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, and not just denominations, but there's all these different groups, you know. I mean, it's all the rage to not have a denomination. Let's be non-denominational. And yet, they all identify with this group or identify with that group. And it goes further than that. I mean, a lot of people, that identify with this teacher or this preacher or this minister. and You know, well, I follow the teachings of so-and-so. It's amazing that... Paul actually addresses that very thing in the Scripture. It's been going on a really, really long time. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. He says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? It's all about Jesus. We're not following any other man. It's not about a denomination, it's not about a group, it's all about Jesus. And we as his church, he says that we are supposed to be one, Christ is not divided. This denomination thing, I tell you, it's been going on a really long time and whether you identify with a denomination or a group or certain spiritual leaders, I tell you, we are all supposed to be one. And, and really and truly, you know, in the time that we live in, it seems to be even worse where people just split and divide and we got to have this group and that group and now I can't. John Wesley at one time was very denominational minded and it said that at one point, Wesley had a vision where he found himself at the gates of hell, and he knocked and he asked, are there any Roman Catholics here? And they said, yes, there are many. He said, are there any Church of England here? They said, yes, there are many. He said, are there any Presbyterians here? They said, yes, there are many. He said, are there any Wesleyans here? And they said, yes, a great many. He's disappointed and dismayed, but he turns and he goes a few steps to paradise and He begins to ask the same questions. He says, are there any Roman Catholics here? They said, no. He said, "Mm mm-hmm. I thought so. He said, are there any Church of England here? They said, no. Are there any Protestants here? They said, no. He said, are there any Wesleyans here? They said, no. And he was absolutely dismayed by the answer. He said, then who is in heaven? They said, we don't know any of those names. We only know the name Christian. And there are many of us, too many to count, from every kindred and tongue and race and nation. Just Christians. Oh, you see, when we get to heaven... There's not going to be any denominations and different groups and all of that. I mean, I think some people somehow in their mind, they think, well, you know, we get to heaven, we'll get to be with, here's the Baptist section over here, and here's the Methodist section over there, and you know, somewhere way out there, you know, we got to move them out, you know, some put them on the other side of the tracks or something, we have those crazy tongue talkers over there, and then there's going to be a really special place for the Church of Christ because, you know, we want them to think that they're the only ones there, of course, and... Now, when we get to heaven, guess what? We're all going to be one. That's right. We're all going to be the same. Amen. In fact, some of the ones that maybe some of us have fought and argued with, and it ain't going to matter. That's right. We're all going to be together. Worship everybody, everybody that has put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, washed in the blood and born of the Spirit, we're all going to be there together as one. Why can't we be one here? Well, they believe this, and I don't believe that. We're supposed to be one. I'm a Paul. I'm a Cephas. We're supposed to be one. It's amazing how the enemy has used things to divide the body and keep the body from being as effective as it should be. You see, all those labels, they just divide. We categorize, we judge people. But the body of Christ is one. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to kind of work our way through that passage there. But it's amazing to me how that 2,000 years ago, the Lord spoke by the Holy Spirit and Paul the Apostle wrote this passage of Scripture, and it speaks to us today. I want to say that I am blessed to pastor people who don't fight amongst themselves. We are not perfect, but I just am thankful for the unity that we have as a church. And I, don't, I say that because I don't want anybody to think that I'm sharing this message because there are problems. I'm sharing this message because about three to four months ago, I felt like the Lord put it on my heart to begin this year with a series on the church. But I want you to hear it today because, you see, even when we have unity, we need to never take it for granted. We need to guard. We need to keep the unity. And we have to make every effort because we have an enemy who's always working against us. So I want to read verses... Two through six of Ephesians chapter four, and I'm reading from the NIV today, it's just a little simpler. He says, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, the last three verses focus on one thing there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What's the key word here? One. One. Seven times, he says, one. He is driving it home that we as the church are one. See, we need to remember, he he talks about all these things that we are, That make us one, and we need to remember this: so much that we have in common with other believers. Born of the same Spirit, washed in the same blood, serve the same Lord, call on the same Father. I'm just telling you, we have so much in common. And we need to realize all that we have in common. And here's the thing about that. You see, the things that we have in common, these are eternal truths. These are eternal things. And so often, all of our differences, they're temporal. They're not going to matter when we get to heaven. Even the things that people so often split and divide over. He says, we are one. The pastor was doing a kid's sermon, you know. He called the kids all down front, and he had them all sitting there. He did a little mini-sermon, and there was a three-year-old girl sitting right in front of him as he spoke, and he was telling them about how, you know, we all need to get along. We need to love one another. Jesus wants us all to be one. The little girl spoke up and said, I don't want to be one, I want to be four. Here's what I want to say about that. I don't know what you want, but I do know what Jesus wants, and He wants us to be one. And this message, I think that it just just goes against the grain. There is a stronghold that needs to be torn down. So many people have accepted division and conflict and strife in the church. They just accepted that the body can't get along. The universal church can never get along, never be in agreement. Yes, it can. Jesus prayed that we would be one. In fact, I want to go back to that and read one more verse there. Verse 23, he says, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. You see, we got a job to do. And we got to be in unity to do it. How can we be one? How can we have unity when there's so many differences, so many opinions, so many disagreements? How can we have unity when we have so many different backgrounds and people groups and nationalities and races and cultures? How can we possibly be one? Because in Christ, we are one. It's a spiritual truth. You know, I've learned that there are spiritual truths that this side of heaven I may not fully understand, but I accept it and embrace it because it is the Word of the Lord and it is spiritual truth. And here's what it says in Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, whatever differences we have, whatever different backgrounds or cultures we come from, none of that matters in Christ. We are one. You see, in our culture today is part of how there's so many different kinds of churches. Well, we got this one over here, and this one over here, and they can't ever meet. You know, they could never get along. They're, from, they're too different. It's not supposed to be that way. It ought to be that all of us who are going to worship together in heaven should be able to worship together here. And remember, all that we have in common, that's what binds us together. You know, Jesus prayed for us to be one so that the world would believe that the Father sent Him. Think about this. John 17, the night He's betrayed, He chooses to pray this for the church, all those who would believe on me, through their word. He didn't pray for the church to have trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. He could have... He didn't pray that. See, a lot of people make a big thing about money. It's all about the money. I want to tell you, it takes money to send missionaries. I understand that. It takes money to build a building where we worship. I'm just telling you, though, it's not all about money. In fact, a lot of the time when a family wins the lottery or they get a big inheritance, it destroys them. And you know what? I've seen this over the years, that when a church has very little money, people don't squabble about it. But when they start having a little money, and if they have a lot of money, then people want to fight over how it's going to be spent. Y'all quiet. Money is not the answer. In fact, sometimes money becomes a problem. And then, you know, you can have all kinds of gifts and talents and abilities. If I have great faith, if we had... Jesus didn't pray if we had faith to move mountains. Somebody's going to correct me. I know Jesus talked about mountain-moving faith, but I'm just telling you, He didn't pray here in John 17. Oh, just give Him mountain-moving faith, because I want to tell you, the Bible also says we can have all faith to move mountains, and yet if we don't have love... We're still nothing. That's what the Bible says. You see, some people, they think if they got lots of knowledge, and especially if they got lots of Bible knowledge, you know. No, we need to realize what's important is that we have unity. That's what Jesus prayed for, that we would be one, have unity with one another. I, I wonder why Jesus didn't pray that there would be no persecution or opposition to his church. The gates of hell can't stop it. And so often, opposition and persecution is the very thing that drives us together to be one. In countries and places in the world today where there's great persecution and one believer meets another believer, they don't say, well, you know, what denomination are you? What do y'all believe? And, you know, we believe this. No, they are just thrilled to meet another Christian, a brother or sister in Christ. Why? Because of the opposition and the persecution. You know, it's amazing how we as a country, we we should understand this. I mean, in in World War II when Pearl Harbor was attacked, our nation united completely. And, you know, I somehow think today that, maybe I'm fantasizing here, but I somehow think today if if our nation was attacked on American soil, that even Republicans and Democrats would be able to get in unity about it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that, maybe that's too far, but... I'm just, I'm just saying, though, that a, a lot of the time, opposition and persecution, it, that all going away is not the answer. In fact, if we are in unity, I'm telling you the truth, money is not a problem. If we are in unity, opposition and persecution, it can't stop us. If we are in unity, talents and gifts, those things... Those aren't a problem. All of those things flow. All of those things happen when the church is in unity. The answer to us reaching the world, it's exactly what Jesus prayed, that we would be one so that the world would know. Genesis chapter 11, they built a great tower known as the Tower of Babel, and it was built out of the pride of man. It was an evil thing. Listen to what the Lord said in Genesis 11:6. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people who are one and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. These were wicked, evil people doing something in their pride, and yet the Lord says, because of their unity, they'll be able to do anything. And so the Lord disrupted their unity. He gave them all different languages where they no longer could understand one another, and they were all divided. But we need to realize, if if that is true, if unity is that powerful about ungodly evil people doing something in the pride of man, how much more powerful is our unity as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ who are not doing our will in the pride of man, but we are praying for His kingdom and His will to be done. We are seeking to fulfill His plan and purpose in our world. I want to tell you, the enemy cannot stop the church if we are in unity. If we are one. You know, if you ever want to discern how spiritually mature you are, I'm well aware that people could come up with all kinds of ideas, but this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 makes it pretty simple. He says, beginning from verse 1, he says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. Since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly are you not acting like mere men? You know, when he says mere men here, he's talking about that they're just acting like unregenerate people, not even born again. You're acting like mere men, not new creations in Christ, acting like the world. He says they're babies, they're carnal. See, sometimes people think they're real spiritual if they have great gifts. Or if they have a lot of knowledge, or they know a lot of scripture, and you know, sometimes people who know a lot of scripture uh, and, and pastors can be real bad about this. You know, they they use it as a way to just get their way and to attack other people. I'll never forget being in a board meeting many years ago when a, a board member uh, stood up with his Bible and he he told another man. He said. I could just cut you up with the Word of God. I I just want you to understand that, you see, sometimes people think that they're real spiritual because they have a lot of Bible knowledge. But here, Paul makes it pretty simple. If you're involved in strife, conflict, division, jealousy, you're a baby. Haven't even begun to grow up. We need to see... When we're involved in strife and jealousy, we're not doing what God wants us to do. I think some Christians have just missed some kindergarten lessons, you know, about get along with others, play well with others. Do you get along? Do you play well with others? When you grow up in Christ, you understand there's more important things than your opinion. See, God cares about our relationship with one another. He cares about how we interact with one another. He cares about our unity, that we are one. And we need to realize our unity is a sacred thing. You know, Jesus said that they might be one even as He and the Father are one. It's a sacred thing. Unity is God's idea. It's His priority, and it's something that we as a church, we got to get right. It's an absolute for us. We need to make every effort to keep the unity. Sometimes people disagree. I mean, anytime you get two people together, sooner or later, there's going to be a disagreement. Seems like a lot of time in the body of Christ, we focus on the disagreements. Like We can agree on 99% of the Bible, but let's talk about that issue we don't agree about. Let's hash it out. And if we can't come in an agreement, well, we're just going to have to part company. That is exactly how there are so many divisions in the body of Christ. You know, some people will say, well, doesn't the Bible say, how can two walk together except they be agreed? This is one of the most misinterpreted, misunderstood scriptures in the whole Bible. It doesn't mean that you have to agree on everything. There's no marriage that can stand that test. I've been married over 40 years. And so, after 40 years, we think a lot alike. We agree on pretty much everything. But I got some news for you. If you don't learn to be agreeable, you'll never make 40 and there are still things that we don't agree about. You know, like when I want to eat Mexican food every single day, she disagrees with me. There's always something. But I'm just telling you that you if you hold that standard, well, I can't walk with you unless we agree on everything, you're going to be all alone. I agreed with her 41 years ago. I'm going to walk with her. That's what we agreed to. Whatever we do, we do it together. We might disagree about some other things along the way, but we agree we're doing it together. Amos 3.3 in the NIV, it really gives a good translation here. and It translates the meaning very well. He says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. And that's what that verse is talking about that you have to agree together, to walk together, to go the same direction. And you see, that's how we can have so many different opinions and different ideas, and we can disagree about some things, but we're still doing this together. We're still one. It doesn't matter if we agree on everything. See, as a church, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection... And we believe that as a church, we should be pursuing the commission that He gave us to go into all the world and make disciples. And I'm just trying to tell you, you see, there are some basic things that we got to agree on. But so many other things that people want to fight and argue and divide over, they're not going to matter when you get to heaven. And we need to quit fighting about them here and now. I'm not saying that they don't matter, but I'm just saying that it's not something that's worth people dividing over and having division and conflict. We're going to go back to the passage in Ephesians chapter 4. There's five keys there in verses 2 and 3 that will help us to live out And to keep our unity, Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, it says, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. First, he says, be completely humble, completely, completely. That means no pride. It's a hard pill to swallow in a culture that exalts pride and boasts about it. Completely humble. Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels. Pride only breeds quarrels. Pride is going to cause strife. So often it is the root cause Instead, we're to be completely humble. It's a lowliness of mind. It's an attitude. And we're going to come back to Ephesians in a few minutes, but I want us to look at Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Paul gives us more insight on being humble. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. See, we should never just act on what we selfishly want and never out of any pride. He says, But in humility... Consider others better than yourselves. Oh, wait a minute. That is not at all what the world says. Consider others better than yourselves. The New King James says, esteem others better than yourself. It's all about self esteem in this world. Some of you have a hard time accepting what I'm talking about right now, but I didn't write it. We're to esteem others better than ourselves. Self-esteem. That is lifting self up. That's what that means. Self-esteem. Like Satan, who in his pride wanted to exalt himself and be like the Most High. No. We're to be completely humble and think of others better than ourselves. You know, this became real simple for me when I came back to Grace almost 20 years ago to pastor the church, and Pastor Harold Nichols, who pastored the church for 50 years, he and Lou were here as part of the church. And he says to me, you're my pastor. And I'm like, this is so weird. This is ridiculous. How can I be a pastor to a man who is far my superior? And Brother and Sister Strickland also pastored over 50 years, and they were part of the church, and it was so intimidating to me. But i got to tell you, it's not just these spiritual giants. There are many people in this church that I just think, you know what, I, I'm not as spiritual as they are. Sometimes I look at the, the young staff that I work with, and I think, I'm trying to lead my, my betters. And I'm just telling you that somewhere along the way, (laughs) I finally learned to esteem others better than myself. But it doesn't come easy, and it's not the way we naturally think, it's not the world's way, but it is what the Scripture says, that we're to think of others as better than ourselves. There was a time when John Wesley and George Whitfield. Had doctrinal differences, and somebody saw the differences. And they asked Wesley if he thought he would see Whitfield in heaven. And Wesley said, Probably not. He said, Because George will be so close to the throne of God, I'll probably never get a glimpse of him. You know, that person was looking for an opportunity to sow some discord there, but Wesley very publicly instead. Took a route towards unity. He wouldn't be a part of that division and disunity. How we need to make those kinds of choices. Verse four, it says, Each of you should look not only in his own interest, but also in the interests of others. You see, pride just thinks that they're more important than others. Humility thinks of others first. See, humility thinks of self. Less, it thinks of others more and when you start thinking of others more then you learn a different perspective you you learn to see things from their point of view and you learn to be agreeable it's not about who comes out on top it's not about that our way is always right. Next, back to Ephesians. Paul says, be gentle. Be gentle. The word here literally means mildness. It's the opposite of being arrogant or forceful or harsh. See, to be gentle, we're talking about the exact opposite of being harsh. When we're harsh, when we're rude, when we push our way and we're aggressive, we're hurting the unity. We are to be gentle. Hot-headed woman, she told her pastor, she said, My talent is to speak my mind. Now I gotta tell you over the years, I've heard that a version of that many times. But this pastor, he says, Well, lady, the Lord would not mind if you buried that talent. I just got to tell you, you see, a lot of the time people use a justification like that. Well, I just tell it like it is. They sow discord. They do harm to the body. All in this self-righteous pride. They think it's their job to go around and correct everybody else. Fruit inspectors. Self-appointed fruit inspectors. I want to tell you, we need to be Seeking, desiring, making every effort to keep the unity. And when you are right, by the way, you need to be especially gentle. In fact, if you're not gentle about it, you're not doing it right. Third is patience. Be completely humble, gentle, be patient. See, when others aren't doing right, we need to be patient with them. We need to be, as the King James puts it, long-suffering. It's exact opposite from what we say, short-tempered. It's long-tempered. It's long-suffering. We put up with them a long time. See, we're going to keep our unity? you got to be patient with others. I'm about to use a dirty word. Everybody ready? pastor used a dirty word today. We need to be tolerant. Oh, that's a dirty word in our culture right now. In the body of Christ, we need to be tolerant. Let me tell you why. Because there's lots of different opinions. There's lots of different ways of doing things. We got the church over here. We got the traditional worship music. We can't have none of that weirdo stuff. We got cool music. We don't want any of that old dead stuff. We can't ever worship together. How about we just be tolerant of one another? How about we just choose to be one and to get along? But you see, we got to be tolerant of somebody that disagrees with us. we got to be tolerant of somebody who has some faults and some flaws. You know, here's a little list that maybe somebody can identify with. I've struggled with most of these at one point or another, just to be honest. We get irritated because somebody's not as spiritual as we are. We get irritated because they're not as strong in faith. They're not as smart as we are. Okay, I remember actually thinking, how can they be so dumb? I know none of you ever have these struggles. Here's one that especially bothers me. You know, why aren't they tougher? Why aren't they tough as I am? You know, suck it up, buttercup. Come on. I'm just telling you, we need to be tolerant of our brothers and sisters in Christ. The fact that they have a weakness and a struggle in a certain area, that's not a place for us to judge them and be critical of them. No, that's a place for us to love them and pray for them and try to help them. Be patient. Fourth, he says, bearing with one another in love. You bear with them in love. Now, that doesn't mean that you know you put up with them with grumpiness and resentment. No, you do it with a loving attitude. We overlook the faults in others. You know, most of us know how to forbear with our family. You know, they have mis- faults and make mistakes, and they're wrong about some things, and yet we love them anyway. We forbear with their faults, and it should be the same way in the body of Christ. We are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should forbear when somebody has a fault, when somebody's, you know, not doing right. We still love them. We forbear. I mean, if you're looking for people without faults and flaws... There's only one. And he said that we're to be one. love this story about an elderly woman. She took her little grandson to the zoo. And they, while they're there, they see that there's somebody there painting paw prints on kids' faces. And so they get in line, little grandson, he wants a paw print on his face. And while they're standing in line the little girl turns around and she says to the boy, she says, I don't think they can paint a paw print on your face. There's too many freckles. The little boy turned and he hung his head. Grandmother, she knelt down and she looked in his face she said, I think freckles are beautiful. She said, when I was a little girl I always wanted to have freckles. She said, I can't think of anything more beautiful than freckles. Can you? And he looked in his grandmother's face and he whispered, wrinkles. (laughs) (laughs) She probably never thought of her wrinkles that way before. By the way, I have lots of freckles and lots of wrinkles. (laughs) Just so you know. Here's the thing though. You see, we all have faults and flaws. We love one another anyway. I read this in my devotion, one of my devotionals this morning, and I don't usually do this, but I want to share it with you. First of all, the two verses were Philippians 1, 3, and 4. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all, with joy. I want to tell you, uh, well, let me read what he wrote here. He said, If the church is to grow spiritually, the relationship among its people must be those of genuine thankfulness. Such gratefulness should not depend upon the perfection of others. We are all imperfect. Indeed, our imperfections should fuel our prayers for each other. See, we should never take one another for granted. I've talked about this before in marriage, that one of the ways that you can get a bad marriage turned around is if you start appreciating each other. You start looking for good things to appreciate. And I want to tell you that in life, it's always like this. You can always find something to complain about at your job. You can always find something negative, something to complain about at church. You can find something to complain about with your spouse. You can find something to complain about with a person at church, a brother or sister in the Lord. You can also always find something to be thankful for. It's what you focus on. And we, like the Apostle Paul, I want to tell you the Philippians weren't perfect, but he says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. See, we need to be thankful for each other. Look for the good and be thankful. And out of that, you see, we pray for one another with joy. You see problems, you see weaknesses, you see where they're struggling. You pray for them, but you're thankful for them. Back to Ephesians one more time. The last scripture tells us, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. That means we are supposed to work at it. Another translation says, be diligent. Another says, striving earnestly. Another says, do your best. In other words, we should be giving it our all. Make every effort To keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, make every effort. Not, well, wouldn't it be nice if we had unity? No, we're gonna do whatever we can so that we can have unity. When he says keep, that word means guard. We need to be diligent to guard our unity. Remember that the enemy is always trying to divide. And just like the Lord uses people, so does Satan. He so often uses a divisive person. Listen to this from Titus 3.10. Warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. Now that sounds harsh, but I want to tell you, you shouldn't be listening to a divisive person. It will mess you up. Warn them once, warn them twice, and then you stay away from them. Come on, straight out of the Bible. Me and Brother Jimmy got it. The rest of you, come on. This is what he says. You don't listen to a divisive person. You know, I've talked about this before, but it needs to be touched on this morning. The Bible uses this big, long word, and it's kind of strange. It's a word we don't use much in our culture today, except some Christians use it. In fact, they use it frequently in this regard. They'll say, "What is an abomination for a man to be with another man. That is absolutely Bible. That is the Word of God. It says it's an abomination. What is an abomination? It is something that the Lord can't stand. It is something that disgusts Him. An abomination. Well, let me tell you what else is an abomination. Proverbs 6.19 says that one who sows discord among the brethren, he's an abomination to God. One who sows discord. The Lord can't stand it. It disgusts Him. There's always somebody trying to stir up discord. And I want to tell you, the Lord doesn't like it. How does somebody sow discord? They magnify differences. They want to point out the differences. Doesn't matter how much you have in common, how much you agree on, they can always find something to disagree about. Sometimes people sow discord by always talking about controversial issues always stirring the pot, always trying to keep it going, get strife going. We need to be wise about who we talk to and who we listen to and who we do life with. You can't allow somebody to sow those seeds of discord in your heart. How do they sow discord? Always talking negative about other people. Always has something to say about somebody else. There's another Bible word for that it's called gossip are you doing all you can to keep the unity so that we can be one as Jesus prayed another way we avoid disunity is second 2 timothy 2:23 2, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels i want to tell you as a pastor studying the Bible for many, many years. I I know a lot of scripture. I know a lot of things. And you know, a lot of times, well, it's just amazing to me how many dumb doctrines that people can come up with that are a twist and a perversion of scripture. And so somebody inevitably, a well-meaning person will come and there's, they're going to, you know, help me and enlighten me with this new truth that they found. And you know, a part of me, I just want to go. Let me give you 15 verses that show that that is a lie and that is stupid and it's not right. But that would just be hurtful, not helpful. But then in that same passage of Scripture where he tells us to avoid foolish and stupid arguments... He goes on in the next couple of verses. He says, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle so that in the right way, you see, in the right time, he can humbly teach that person so that maybe perhaps it says they will find repentance that's changing their mind and come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, but it's all in the attitude and how we deal with people. Yes, there's a lot of people that are headed the wrong way. They believe foolish things, but we got to help them by being gentle and loving them, not by blasting them. You know, churches can just. Get in strife over all kinds of things, and, and I know some of these doctrinal things, they matter, but you know, let's here we go. All right. Are you pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib? Some of you are like, "What is that? God bless you." <laughs> I mean that. Some of you are like, "Well, what are you? I'm first trip. I'm going at the first opportunity. How about you? It's settled for me. I'm first trip. But people want to fight and argue and divide over anything and everything. It is crazy, but I got to tell you, I, I knew about one youth pastor. He wanted to paint the youth hall black, and some people got real upset, and they said, oh, it's going to look like a nightclub. We can't have that. And so they finally agreed that he could paint it a real dark purple. It was such a dark purple that when you walked in, it looked black. But... But that was okay. They had come to agreement. Whatever. Heard about another church. This lady painted a mural on a wall in the kid's classroom. It was Adam and Eve. And, you know, she had used plenty of leaves. It was totally modest. But people got upset. Some of them did because Adam had a navel. They said Adam couldn't have had a navel. He was never born. And then there were other people that said, well, God made him that way, so his children wouldn't think that there was something wrong with them. And people, they got up teams. I mean, they had the naval people and the no-naval people. And just before things blew up, the lady that had painted the murals, she came back and she painted one more leaf over the navel. And they had peace. Be a peacemaker. Did you know every time there's a conflict... You can be the bucket of kerosene to throw on it, or you can be the bucket of water to put it out. I want to tell you, our unity is so important. we got to do everything we can, make every effort to keep the unity. I want to tell you, we have a common cause. Our cause is the cause of Christ to reach the world, to build the church he's building. We have a common enemy, Satan. He's the enemy of our souls, and he's the one that steals, kills, and destroys. He's the one that's always working against us. We have a common love and allegiance. It's to our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for us, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I may not agree with you about everything, but if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you are born again and washed in the blood of Jesus, I consider you to be my brother and sister. And if you carry this same cause to do what He wants us to do, to go into the world and make disciples, then I want to ask you to walk with me. I don't have to agree with you about everything. If we have that in common, we are both part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that what's important is that we keep the unity. And as Jesus prayed, that we would be one. Stand with me. We're going to pray, and I would like for our prayer partners to go ahead and come.